0: Faith was not in the Old Covenant, but if you follow the shadows and type, it would point you to the one in whom you put faith. Abraham saw from afar the promise, right? But people were concerned about this. They were trying to achieve righteousness by their own way, by their own means, by the law. But the law says, nope, you can't. You need someone else. You need someone greater than you. All right, now we're going to transition into our sermon, and today we're going to continue in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 6 to 13, Hebrews, sorry, chapter 8, verses 6 to 13, Hebrews 8, 6 to 13. But as it is Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates <clears throat> sorry is better since it is enacted on better promises for if that first covenant had been faultless there would have been no occasion to look for a second for he finds fault with them when he says behold for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what, has become, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the reality of the new covenant. We just read in Hebrews 8. You take your law and you take your commandment and you write it, not on tablet of stone, but into our heart. And now we can truly know you. We can know your will. We have the ability to truly obey you. Oh, today I pray that you would take your word and apply it to our minds, to our hearts, so that we'd be careful to walk in your ways and statutes, to walk in a manner worthy of you and of the, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, We beg of you, oh God, oh Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in our life today. That you would take that word and apply it to our minds. That you would give us a change of heart if we uh, wander in ways um, that are not your ways, Lord. Because you give us life. You give us the new birth, a new heart, We pray for a miracle today, Lord, a miracle of salvation, that someone will be saved today, Lord. Help your church. Help me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we get to um, Hebrews chapter 8, verses um, 6 to 13, where we find the new covenant. This chapter is divided in three parts. I told you last time, verse 1 and 2, um, they, the, the author restates the main points of his argument about the priesthood of Christ. Verse 3 to 5, the author shows the need for Christ to be in heaven in order to perform his function, the function of his office. And now verse 6 to 13, the author presents Christ as the high priest. Of the new covenant. So that's what we're going to see today. The title of my sermon is Jesus is the Mediator of the New Covenant. This passage is one of the most glorious passages in Scripture because it speaks about Jesus and the new covenant that he mediates. It says the new covenant is better and Jesus has a more excellent uh, ministry. The reality of your life. Christian, the reality of my life, your life, is, um, based on, is based totally on this glorious truth, this glorious provision that the Lord had made for us in the new covenant, in his son, Jesus Christ. So I wanted to start with a couple of um, definitions, things that you know already, but I'm just going to put them forward because I want them to be fresh in your mind. So as we go through this um, we can have a point of reference. And uh, I, I realize I have like two pages of definition. I'm not going to uh, bore you with that. Um, let me find the main, um, the, main, the main thing. So the first thing I want to define um, is types and shadows. You, you know that already. Um, last week, Brother Chris was preaching um, um, the kindness of the king, uh, taking the example of King David, who was a type of Jesus, And taking the example of the kindness he showed to Mephibosheth to point uh, or to parallel that with the kindness we receive from our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so children, if I ask you, what are types and shadows? What would you say? Or parents? A picture. I have that. That's one of the definitions I have. It's a picture. All right. Let's say you never met my dad. Okay. But I'm like, my dad is going to come soon. Here is a picture of him. So you get familiar with him. You see like, yeah, he's a good looking dude. Not like me. I'm, I'm terrible. But you see him and you're getting ready. And on the day you meet him, like he, let's say he walks out, you're going to be able to say, this is Kenzie's dad, right? So types and shadows, they are pictures to greater realities in the Bible. There's a definition that I want to present to you. Um, first type and then the shadows. Type, okay, children, remember this. A type is a real person, is a real place, is a real object, and a real event that, ha- that happened in the Bible, okay? They were ordained by God. God planned them. God, like, divinely orchestrated them. And their purpose was to be a pattern or a resemblance of Jesus Christ, okay? Or a pattern or resemblance of something opposite of Jesus Christ, for example, um, you have some prophecies in the Bible, they represent the enemies of Jesus, right? So, but um, in Genesis 3.15, for example, you have, he will crush the head of the serpent. Serpent is not a real snake. It's pointing to the devil, right? The seed of the woman, um, it's not uh, Adam, it's not Cain or Abel, it's pointing to Jesus, right? Um, a place can be Jerusalem, um, an object can be the tabernacle. An event can be the flood of Noah. And we know Peter says Christ is the ark that protects us from the wrath of God. So it's, it's something real, something um, that existed. Uh, Brother Reese told the children the Bible is full of fact. It's facts. It's actual and factual things. Uh, it's not a made-up allegory, right? Um, and the second thing we, we Brother Jason, Nelly, it's a picture um, a picture to help you identify the real, the real thing. The, the shadows and the types, they point to the real substance. Let's say you have something real here and the light is, ca- is, is shed on it and the shadow is casted on the floor, right? And if you follow the shadow and you can't find the real thing, right? Um, Colossians two sixteen and 17 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival, a new moon, and Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come. And this is the key. The substance belongs to Christ. The real object is Jesus. Everything else, there were shadows pointing to him. Um, and the fault of the Jewish people is like they were just concerned about the pictures, Right? Let's say my dad comes here, you know, and say, like, "I want the picture." It's like you don't pay attention to the real thing, and that was their mistake. They wanted Jesus um, because the Bible pictured um, Jesus to be the king, the conqueror. They wanted someone to come and deliver them from the Roman um, tyranny. But Christ came to suffer for their sin. Christ came as the Lamb who takes away their sin. But they didn't want that. They they wanted one aspect of the pictures of the picture, but they ignored, or they were oblivious completely to Jesus Christ uh, being the real substance. Um, so that's types and shadows. The second thing I want to define is covenant. What is a covenant? Toy word. Like sometimes when people get married, like they promise, promise. promise vow. It's contract, yes. So D.A. Carson on uh, desiring God has an article, and I'm going to use his definition. He said, a covenant is an agreement. Sometimes when you sell houses or properties, you have an agreement. You sign a contract, and you say, I'm going to do this, and that person's going to do that, and we come to an agreement, right? So a covenant is an agreement made by a sovereign, and in this case, by God, With human beings. And there should be worship and um, adoration on one side, on the side of the human beings, and blessing and protection and privileges granted by God on the other side. So it's based on condition of you obeying God, and if you do not, you're going to receive judgment. If you do not obey God, you're going to receive judgment. Uh, David Murray present this definition. It's a relationship. It's how God relates to us. It's a relationship um, initiated and imposed by God, the superior, and there is life or death consequences. Okay. Uh, there are other definitions, but those are the gist. I wanted you to to remember this. Um, it's oh, the last one I want to no, note, though. The word covenant can be translated testament or a will. Like Christian, we, we have a Bible. Has, he has how many testament? Two testament, the New Testament and the Old Testament. You could say you know the will of God or you can say the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. And that's that's um, the nature of our Bible. But that was the last definition. Now, this leads me to What message do we find in the Old Testament, and what message do we find in the New Testament? Or what message do we find in the Old Covenant, and what message do we find in the New Covenant? Um, In the Old Testament, or in the Old Covenant, all the other nations were to look to Israel, to know the Lord. Out of all the nations of the earth, the Lord chose Israel to be his prized possession to make his name known to the rest of the of the earth, Israel was to tell the other nations, "Come and see, we have a God like none others. He is dwelling in our midst. The one true God lives among us." So Israel was to tell people, "Come and see this God." And um, there was a place where they could meet God. At first, it was the tabernacle, then the temple. And the tabernacle, it was portable because they were in the wilderness. They can't carry it around. But when they got into the land, there was one place. God says, do not do like the other nations, worshiping on the high places, but go and meet with me at one place. But they didn't have all that. Only that. They had the palm. They had the golden vessels. They had uh, beauty and beautiful things. Um, You know, it's like... The house must be prepared. Like my wife, whenever we we're receiving guests, she wants the house to be clean and you know spotless. I mean, I ruin it for her, but but it's like Israel will tell people, "Come and see," and there are like beautiful stuff to see. Um, they were supposed to point people to God, right? So that's the that's the old covenant, the Old Testament. It's like the religion was, come and see. But in the New Testament, is like, go and tell. You go, therefore, and make disciples out of all the nations and teach them to observe all that I have t- um, taught you, says the Lord. That's a great commission, right? So in the New Testament, we go and tell. The New Covenant is... You go, therefore, and tell the nations about that mystery of Christ living in you. We'll see that in a minute, how that happened. But God, by the means of his Spirit, writes his law in our heart and then enables us to go and tell everyone about God, about Jesus, how about our new life, how about that spring of living water that is, spring, that is coming out of us. Um, um, now you have life flowing out of you. Jesus says, "Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters." So the New Covenant, the New Testament, presents a religion of go and tell about God. Go and tell about, about Jesus and what He had done. Um, and what we must do, we must present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. It's a spiritual worship that is required of us. We need to live holy lives that represent God. That was the same thing for Israel, but people were to come in. That's why we have the proselytes or the fearing um, Gentiles. Cornelius is an example of that. He was a Gentile that, um, that, that believed in the Jewish God, the God of the Jews. Um, but now we go and tell the nation that, Christ save Jesus saves you can be made right with God So Now so that was old covenant new covenant that was types and shadows Now let's get in let's get to our text I want you I want you to keep this in mind okay Verse 6, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. But as it is, he's presenting a different idea. He's presenting another idea Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. There is the word old that implies there is something new. If you have old, there is a new, and it's going to say that. But what ministry? This is referring to maybe the few verses before that. The priests, they were serving in the temple. The the priests, they were offering um, gifts and sacrifices On behalf of the people, they had the temple, they had the priesthood, they had all this, but all this, let's see what verse 5 says. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. And he explained his argument in the the rest of the verse. uh, Because when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Everything in the Old Testament, was a shadow a type and shadow pointing to Jesus the ministry of the priest was pointing to the real ministry of Jesus Christ okay now <clears throat> we define covenant but what does the old, the old covenant entails what is in the old covenant One, infe- one emphasis uh, in the definition of the covenant is, God, is that God is the one deciding about the condition, okay? But when you hit the word condition, there is, a, there is a word that needs to come to your mind. If I'm giving you a condition, what word should I use? If, okay? So in order to see where the old covenant is laid out, Go in the Old Testament, mainly in the five books of Moses, and see where you have the word if. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 and 27. See, I am setting before you a blessing and a curse. The blessing. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commend you today, and the curse, if... You do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way I am commanding you today. So those are the condition, the conditions of the, the old covenant. Simply put, you obey, you get life, you get blessing. You disobey, you get death, you get curse. Okay. Same can be found in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. Um And many other verses, I'm going to reference them um, here. So they were supposed to obey. But what commandments were they supposed to obey? We can say the Ten Commandments, right? Um, Deuteronomy 4.13, And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stones. So the Old Covenant sometimes is referred to or is talked to in relationship to the Ten Commandments, okay? So you can say the Ten Commandments are um, the Old Covenant. But it's not only the the, the Ten Commandments. How many laws do we have in the Old Covenant? 600. 613, some scholar says. And this is what um, Paul was um, referring to in Galatians 3.10. Brother Jason went through that. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by, not some, but all things we end in the book of the law. The book of the law is the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, sometimes called the Torah. Everything we end in the law you need to observe. That's why Seventh day Adventists, if they want to hold to the old covenant, they fail because they cannot observe all 613 of these laws, right? Not only do they have to abide, and they have to do them, and do them perfectly. The word abide is actually carrying the idea of continuously doing these things. So in the Old Covenant, God offers life to the people of Israel if they keep all the commandments, if they walk in his ways, in his commandments, in his rules, in his statutes, and do all of them. And if you do not walk in his way or keep his commandments and rules and statutes, you will be cursed. So that's the Old Covenant. Simply put, Obey, you will live. Disobey, you will die. Obey, you will be blessed. Disobey, you will die. But verse 6 says the new covenant is better. Why? It's based on better promises. The next verse will explain that And he's going to explain what are, those, what, what are those promises. So everything in the Old Testament, like the tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrifices, the laws, the commandments, they are the Old Covenant. There's something better that, that's going to replace them. Verse 7 now. For... If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Whoa, let's stay wide there. If the first covenant had been faultless, so the author is saying something was wrong with the the old covenant, right? That's what he's saying. There was fault with it or with it. What was it about the old covenant that rendered it to, be not, to not be faultless? Was it the covenant itself? No. Was it the law? Was it the people? It certainly was not God. No one can find fault with God. Romans 9, right? Who are you, man, to find fault with God? No, you cannot. God is perfect. All his ways are perfect. Verse 8. <clears throat> for he finds fault with them. So the fault, like you said, it was with the people. It's not with the covenant. Why? Because we are rebellious. We are sinners. You ever tell your kids, don't do something, and that's the next thing they go do. right? Paul has this great discussion in Romans 7. The law said not to do something, but that's the very thing I want to do. Sin is bound into our heart, and it was no different from, from the people of Israel. Verse 8 is protecting us from putting the charge against the law, against God, against the covenant, but it was the people who were at fault. There was no defect in the law. The Bible says the commandments of, of the law were not, they're not bad. The, the law of the Lord is pure. The law of the Lord is not grievous. David wrote the whole Psalm 119 as a way to um, praise the commandments of the Lord. He takes each and every letter of the alphabet and create a paragraph with it. There are 22 letters in the alphabet and you create eight a paragraph of eight verses. So that's why you have, I don't know, eight times 22, you do the math, but... So another psalm, Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commitment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the, heart, the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean in doing forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The blessings, right? You keep the law, you obey, there is great reward. So you see, the law was good. The law was perfect. The fault resided with the people. So perfection could not be attained through the law because the law reveals one thing. We all need the Lord. We all need Jesus. I kind of got ahead of myself. I put Paul, uh, Romans 7. Paul says, The very commandment himself promised life, proved to be death to me. So you have the commandment. He, it's, it's good it promised life, but when I hear it, I'm a dead man because of sin. Verse 11, Romans seven eleven. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the law reveals that we can never be perfect if God doesn't intervene. That's why, that's the beauty of the new covenant. That's the beauty of salvation. That's the beauty of regeneration. That's why the doctrine of Arminianism is like, there's nothing good in you. You need God to come and give you that changed heart, to take this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, sensitive to obey his commandments. So the law reveals that we can never be perfect if God does not intervene. And that's what he did with the new covenant. He had to intervene by by providing a better way for us to relate to him, for us to be saved, for us to interact with him. But don't think there was no grace in the the old covenant. Yet, um, we had to obey. We had to I say we, but the people had to obey. The people had to uh, abide by every law and rule in the book. But God was the one who gave them that covenant. Do you know what God told Moses right after the incident of the calf, of the golden calf? Remember, if you go back to Exodus, Exodus 19 and 20, God told them, hey, I'm going to get into a covenant with you. And he gave them the Ten Commandments, and gives them the law: how to live your life, how to live with your brothers in the land, how to live with strangers in the land. And around verse uh, chapter thirty, Moses went to the mountain. What happened? Oh, don't, we don't know what happened to this Moses. Let's make a god for ourselves. Bring your jewelry. They build their own god, and they says this is Yahweh. The the, the word Aaron used. He says. This is Yahweh. <laughs> he used the glory of God and gave it to an idol. We do that so many times, don't we? We do that with our time, with our, it's mine. You know, we so self-centered, whatever it is. Our entertainment, our time, our right to some things, like, and it becomes a God for us. And when Moses came back and Aaron, I, I, you got to love Aaron, right? He says, I don't know, like the people gave, me, gave it to me. I put it in the fire and out came this calf. It's like, by itself? No, Aaron, you had to work it and bake it. But Aaron was like, yeah. We put the gold and came out the calf. And then Moses had to go back again. And the Lord told him, bring with you another, two set, of, another uh, set of two tablets. And the Lord proclaimed this. This is one of the glorious um, passages in Scripture. Exodus 34, verse 6. This is the Lord proclaiming his character. The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. He did not say, We require for you to obey. We require you to keep my commandments. This is what he says. The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, So there was mercy in the Old Covenant. They were not destroyed right away. Even though the Lord wanted to, Moses intercede for them. But he says, a God merciful and gracious. Grace and mercy, they're kind of the the coin of, the the two sides of the same coin. One is you deserve, you receive what you did not deserve. The other one, you did not deserve what you, let me say it again. One means you did not receive what you deserve. The other one says you received what you did not deserve. Okay? It's where you put the knot. <laughs> yeah, mercy and grace. God is a merciful God. He said, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for thousands. And there was forgiveness. There was forgiveness in the Old Covenant. It says here, the Lord forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin three times. That's the Hebrew repetition, putting emphasis. The Lord is a forgiving God. So there was mercy, there was grace, there was forgiveness. So the fault was with the people. They were disobedient people, they were hard hearted people. They were covenant breaking people. Chapter 3 of Hebrews says God was provoked with them. And why? Because they had an evil, unbelieving heart. They would refuse to believe the word of God. The warning for them. Wanted to abandon Christ in the book of Hebrews is this do not drift from Christ, don't go back to this old covenant because you have persecution, because you have social pressure. Yes, you have the traditions, it's hard to break from tradition, right? The he says, if you do, you will drift from God. You would drift from Christ, you will perish. So what happened is there was grace and mercy, but it was concealed. It was hidden in the types and shadows. They were pointing to the greater reality which is found in Jesus. And if they wanted to go back to that it's like no, you abandon in Christ, like you already have the real thing. All right, let's go back to verse 8. For he, found, he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. And this is, by the way, found in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If you stop right here, that poses a problem, right? Right? The new covenant is with who? Israel, the house of Judah. How come we can boast about, like, we are part of the new covenant? We'll we'll see that in a minute. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And, you know, in the Old Testament, there are multiple covenants, right? There is the covenant with Adam. There was the covenant with Noah, and we have the rainbow. That was the sign of the covenant. The rainbow is not for the LGBTQ group, okay? Ironically, like, God promised not to destroy men again with the flood. So every time they wave that flag, it's a reminder of the mercy of God on them. But, so there was the Noahic covenant, there was the covenant with Abraham, sometimes called the covenant of promises. There was a covenant with David. There was a Mosaic covenant. But God specifically says, this is the covenant I made with them when I took them out of Egypt. Exodus 19, you yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you would obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So God is saying, like, this covenant is the covenant I made with them at Mount Sinai. Okay? And verse 9 says, they did not continue in my covenant. They did not continue in my covenant The second part is a terrible thing to hear from the Lord and so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord You don't want to be in a state where the Lord shows no concern for you Israel God constantly continuously showed them grace and mercy with the judges they were oppressed by the midianites they cried out to the lord the lord provided a judge and they freed them gideon samson all these were judges but you see there is a trend in the book of judges in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes they chopped a woman into pieces that was right in their own eyes they did only evil the kings, you see the kings, that they, the Lord destroyed the whole northern nation because they sinned in the sin of Jehovah. That's why the, in the time of Jesus, the, Samarian, the Samaritan, they were hated by the other Jews in Jerusalem. Why? Because they were mixed with other nations and pagans and they, they despised them. Why? It's because the king continuously Sin against God. They went after other gods. But the Lord constantly showed them mercy until like, he gave them over to their sin, and they are no more. So there is no more in the northern part of Israel. Even Jerusalem, I think back in 1967, they had to fight to get a a piece of Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord gave them over to their sin. That word, it's neglect. We find it in chapter 2. Do not neglect this salvation. That Whatever you heard, the Lord neglected them. He didn't care for them. If the Lord gives you over, it's destruction. So the old covenant, the law was good. But the people, they could not keep the part of the bargain. They could not obey. And there are two reasons. Um, You can say, why? Why couldn't they obey? Why couldn't they? They had the law. There are two things. Um, The first one, Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. I didn't note it down in my notes, so I have to go and find it. And this will will be a contrast to the new covenant, right? Twenty-nine. reason the people could not obey and I told you earlier it's like the law shows us that we need the Lord we need the Lord to intervene the Lord did not intervene for them Deuteronomy 29 verse 4 but to this day the Lord had not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear To this day, the Lord didn't give them a heart to obey him. But the Lord told them, obey me. In Deuteronomy 11, it says, circumcise your heart and obey the commandments of the Lord. But they could not. They, 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 they were not able to. But the Lord gave them the law anyway. And so one might say, but Why? Why? Why were they in this predicament? Why the law? The Lord wanted to show them that they needed him. And everyone in the Old Testament, we're going to go to chapter 11, by faith. Faith was not in the Old Covenant, but if you follow the shadows and type, it would point you to the one in whom you put faith. Abraham saw from afar the promise, right? But people were concerned about this. They were trying to achieve righteousness by their own way, by their own means, by the law. But the law says, nope, you can't. You need someone else. You need someone greater than you. So the second thing, it's found in, in Romans. Romans 3, verse 19 Now, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. So, one of the reasons the Lord gave them the law is to shut the mouth of everyone in the world. He wanna show you that you cannot save yourself. You try by achieving righteousness on your own. This verse says. The Lord you show you that you cannot do it. And be quiet. You need me. You need the Lord. But let's go to the new covenant. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds. Look at the pronoun. Now, who's doing it? I, which is who? The Lord. The old covenant? You, you, you. Failure, failure, failure. But God says... I will seek to it that I do it. Those are the better promises. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In the old covenant, if you obey, then you will be God's people. But God says, I'm going to intervene. Put my laws into your heart. Don't... uh, God says I'm not going to write them on tablet of stone anymore. I'm going to write them into your heart. So what God does, he shatters that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and write his law in our heart. And then we become the people of God. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, "No the Lord for they, are, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. That is intimacy, intimacy with the Lord. We know the Lord. In the old covenant, we could not enter even the holy of holies, or not even the holy of holies, the holy places. The people were kept outside. A the Gentile, they had, they had a sep- wall of separation. They couldn't even enter the court of the temple. but now you can know god you can know him you can know him personally verse 12 for i will be merciful toward their iniquities and i will remember their sins no more god is the one doing that in the in in the new covenant we talk about Regeneration. That's what you have in the verse 10 here. I will put my laws into their minds and write them into their hearts. God gives you a new heart, God gives you a new mind. He changes you so that you can obey Him. In the new covenant, we have justification. The Lord declares a person right. How? He said, I will remember their sins no more. So those are the reality of the new covenant, of the new salvation we have in Christ. You have a new heart, a regeneration, right? The new birth. And you are justified. Your sin, they are forgiven. They are put on Christ. And the Lord said, I will remember them no more. But there is a problem. The Lord says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. How do you and I Gentiles of 2023 in America can take this and apply it to ourselves? Because the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ did one thing and we're going to read it in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there and we're going to read it together. Verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Let's stop right here. He's saying the Jews were calling you uncircumcised. You are not circumcised by flesh, by you know, the covenant that Abraham was supposed to wear um, in his flesh. Verse 12 Remember that you were at, uh, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. So the promise was not for us. was for Israel. And at one time, we were separated from that. Having no hope without God in the world. In the Old Testament, like I said, you had to go into Israel to know the Lord. So it was hard. There was no hope for the people to know the Lord at that time. Verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by what? By the blood of Christ. So the blood of Jesus Christ, that's what applies the covenant to our life. That's what brought us near, and now we can say, yes, this covenant is mine to possess in Christ. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we have this great debt towards God, to the Son, to the shedding of the Son of God. We can draw near the blood of Christ. Draw us near. And now we can take that promise. We we can take that covenant and apply it to our life. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Jews and Gentiles are not one. And he removed the wall of hostility. We are one. We are made one in Jesus Christ. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so we don't have to go and offer sacrifices. We don't have to have goats. Some people have goats, but it's not for sacrifices. It's to eat or sell. But we don't have to do that, because he abolished the law of ordinances and commandments. And he created in himself, in Jesus Christ, he created one new man in the place of two, so making peace and that we might be reconciled, that both of us be reconciled to God in one body through the cross, Therefore, thereby killing the hostility. So God provided Jesus Christ as the means of the new covenant and that his blood extended that grace, that mercy, that salvation to us Gentiles. So now, we don't have to go to Jerusalem. We don't have to find a temple to worship. And I guarantee you, people right now, they're sending money to like rebuild a temple. That temple will never be built. Why? The Lord will seek to it because Christ is the end of all sacrifices. He offered that sacrifice one, once and for all. And you can worship him. You can, you can enter into fellowship with him. He says, they will know me. You can know the Lord. So application for us. The law is written on our heart. We have a new way to relate to the law. There is a false conception that the verse we find in Jeremiah 17, the heart is what? Wicked or deceitful above all things. But you Christian, you don't have a deceitful heart. Your heart has been changed. The law of the Lord is written on your heart. Out of you, inside of you flows a fountain of living water. But the only way you can obey that law is by looking to Christ. Don't make any effort like, you know, like otherwise you're going to become legalistic. Look to Christ being transformed daily and daily into the image of Christ. And that law will be perfected in our life. It's by looking to Christ. The law is not external, but internal. We don't have rituals. We don't have traditions. But we have Jesus Christ. We can call on him. We can pray to him. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. Jesus told the women at the well, "The hour is coming, and it is now, where God, where we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. God is seeking a people to worship Him in spirit, and it's true. You are justified. God does not remember your sin anymore. All is put on Christ." at the cross. There is no condemnation for all war in Christ. The law was an instrument of condemnation, is an instrument of condemnation. Sometimes when we go to the streets and we preach the gospel, we tell people, the law, you're guilty of, I don't know, whatever they confess to you, and it's like, hey, the law, the law judges you. And on Judgment Day, that's going to be the same thing, or to a greater sense. The law will judge them. But if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. The punishment was put on him, and he he is the mediator of this new covenant. And all the blessings that you have in this new covenant is found in Christ. Remember the danger that was lurking by for the people in the um, this epistle was written to. They wanted to go back to the old covenant, but the author is saying Christ is better. Christ is better than Moses. Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than the sacrifices. The new covenant he mediates is better. All right, let's read the last verse. And we can close with that one. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And that is becoming obsolete and going old is ready to vanish. I told you earlier that the temple was still around. So that idea of ready to vanish... Is kind of God is going God, to do away with the temple, and we know what happened in seventy eighty. What happened? The temple was destroyed. But see that the old covenant is obsolete. Some authors or some scholars says like all the covenants are the same. They are different expression of the doctrine of grace. That creates a problem. That's why you have people baptizing children because they think like, "I can do this." Was happening in the old covenant, so I can do it here. I can baptize people, even uh, little children, even though they don't know the Lord. The Bible says they are different. It's two different covenant. Otherwise. Going back to the oak covenant would be okay, right? Because they could find grace there, right? No, don't go there because it's a different one. So he encourages them to persevere, to keep Christ, to keep pressing on, to keep their confidence in Christ. This book is not um, just for them, but for us to keep our confidence in Christ, to know him, and to appreciate the benefit of the new covenant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have written your law in our heart, and now we can obey you. We can know you intimately. Lord, we thank you Jesus paid it all by the sacrifice on the cross. He inaugurated the new covenant for us. Us Gentiles, we're far off, and now we are brought near. And now we can have fellowship with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross.